The 10th regular meeting of the Memphis City Council, March 9th, 2021. Mr. Clerk, please call the roll. Council Bears. Present. Council Falco. Present. Vice President Knight. Present. Council Marks. Present. Council Morrell. Present. Council Scarpelli. Present. Please rise and salute the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Pursuant to Governor Baker's March 12, 2020 order suspending certain provisions of the Open Meeting Law, Chapter 30, Section 18, and the Governor's March 15, 2020 order imposing the strict limitation on the number of people that may gather in, in one place, this meeting of the Memphis City Council will, will be conducted by remote participation to the greatest extent possible. Specific information and general guidelines. I think we lost the chambers for a second, so looks like they're trying to get it back. Uh, I have an announcement to make that uh, the council chambers are, are now open to the public. We do have some guests here this evening. Uh, we have taken all the necessary uh, guidelines uh, given to us uh, by the Board of Health. And um, uh, currently we have a capacity of 18 seats. They're all uh, spaced six feet apart. Um, and uh, the first row, instead of being six feet from the rail, is 10 feet from the rail to give uh, a little extra buffer uh, to make sure that everybody uh, is safely distanced uh, from each other. There are signs on the building uh, outside, so everybody will, will adhere to the proper protocol. Uh, the messenger is logging everybody that comes into the meeting, and he will give it to the clerk so they can put it in to the computer in the next day. So um, anyone who, who wishes to come to meetings going forward, the uh, chamber is open. Uh, for, 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 for public participation or anything you want to say here. So, uh, before we start the meeting, um, we have Marianne O'Connor, who's going to give us a little brief uh, synopsis on uh, uh, where we are with uh, vaccinations and, and, and general health things. Marianne, are you here? I am. Hi. Good evening, Council President, members of City Council. Um, Marianne, a brief. Uh, um, overview of, of what you've been doing and, and where we're going with the COVID and the vaccination process. Sure, sure. So I'll give you a little update on our case numbers, which are looking, thankfully, a lot better. Um, in January, actually, we had over a thousand cases, positive cases. Uh, in February, that number is down to just uh, over 300. 
So we're seeing, you know, that winter surge that we had, the holiday surge certainly um, is, is coming down, which is great news, which, which the state also is seeing the same numbers and which is why the governor recently changed some of the uh, reopening plans recently as far as restaurants and capacities. Uh, and if these numbers continue, if the data, public health data continues to trend downward um, across the state, hospitalizations, uh, there, there will be additional uh, increases in capacity and some more reopening uh, gathering limits released a little bit further, probably by the end of the month. I know a lot of the youth sports, the spring sports are looking for guidance and hoping, you know, um, for better news. And, and we're hoping that that does happen. They did release guidance around youth sports. I believe March 1st was the rec most recent, but we're going to try to hold off before we answer any of those plans and see what we're at the end of April. And hopefully it's even better news. Uh, we have been taking what we've been able to get from the state as far as vaccinations are concerned. Um, we've, we've done probably about 11 clinics to date. Uh, we've been able to do regionally. We, we started out regionally. I think you all know that we were with, um, uh, I'm sorry, a Mystic Valley Public Health Coalition partners, which is Melrose, Wakefield, Malden, Winchester, Stoneham, and Medford. And we did regional clinics and we were able to regionally uh, do 371 first responders, both first and second doses. They completed their vaccination. Um, we were able to do about uh, 545 uh, non-COVID facing healthcare workers regionally and about 122, both first and second doses for both of those congregate care those were the first phase one people that we were able to do. Uh, and we did those regionally. Uh, we were able to do 354, 75 plus uh, elders, Medford specific, because uh, right after that, the, the state kind of cut us off basically for, for, for doses, for regional doses and stuff. So we're kind of in on our own. So we did... 354 first doses of 75 plus, and they will be getting their second doses this Saturday at the Andrews School. It's 354 75 plus folks. Uh, and we're now, we've been working, started working with Jeff Driscoll about a month ago and planning for our housing authorities. It's a separate program from the state, even though they've cut the locals off from basic vaccine first doses. Uh, they do have a separate program for local housing authorities. So Jeff and I started talking about this a while ago and he was able to submit a plan and we did get those doses last week and uh, happy to announce that today we did Temp Home uh, building. We did 94 people at the Temp Home building. Uh, we are doing uh, Weldon Gardens tomorrow and Walkling Court on Thursday. And then we got this week, we just got notice and we received today, actually, another 300 doses uh, for the Salton Stall Riverside building, which we are planning on doing um, next Friday. So that's all great news. We also have been able to um, participate and do doses for our homebound. We are continuing to add to that list. We do have limited doses. 
Uh, we were able to do 90 homebound residents uh, last week. The weeks are running together. It could have been the week before. Um, and they will be getting their second doses as well. And we believe we have about 100 doses uh, additionally for another 100 homebound uh, individuals. So the, the state is just releasing their homebound plan um, on how we should be doing it, but we've already done it. So uh, we're already well on our way. And we did receive the second doses for those uh, homebound individuals as well. But that's probably going to be the end of, of what, we, what we have for vaccine. Um, unless the floodgates open, state gets more vaccine, and uh, they allow the locals to continue to do. Because right now, we are not, um, not in line. Hospitals are getting them first. Uh, pharmacies, the mass vaccination sites, obviously. Uh, locals are not are not receiving doses any longer. Okay. Uh, uh, Council Pepper. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, Marianne, thank you very much uh, to you and your department and all the volunteers for their hard work. Um, I just, uh, you just mentioned the homebound, I think it was a homebound plan. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So uh, we had put aside doses originally for the homebound. Uh, few weeks ago. I'm sorry, I can't, my weeks fall into each other. So I can't tell you what week is which, but um, so we were able to do, we, we, we partnered with Armstrong Ambulance and I believe it was last week. Uh, we were able to complete 90 doses for homebound individuals. These are, these are folks who had either called the council on aging, the West Medford community center or our office, whether it be their children of the individuals themselves. These are really homebound individuals. These aren't people who can get out to vaccination sites, you know, even with assistance. Um, these are, these are we're, we're looking to target individuals who, who are really uh, unable to, to go uh, even out to, to, to medical appointments without assistance. So um, we do, we did have a list. We do have a list from the council and, and, and people are continuing to call. And so we are adding to that list, but we did get the first 90 done. And next week we are hoping, um, with again, the help of amazing volunteers, uh, to get another 60 done. Um, but we do have additional doses and we did receive the second doses. So we are, we're, we're good for the home month. but again, um, we're not getting any more. So once we, we reach what we have, that's, that's all we have. Okay. Council Marks. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. And I want to thank uh, Marianne for being on the call tonight. That was extremely uh, informative and I appreciate the update. Um, Marianne, last week uh, we received as a council a correspondence from the mayor stating that uh, the city was in the process of submitting an application to the state to become a vaccination site. I was just wondering if you can update us with that. Yeah, we haven't heard back from the state yet. So we are trying to propose to be a regional vaccination site. Uh, what that There are pretty strict requirements around what the state's looking for. We are partnering with uh, Cambridge Health Alliance, Somerville, uh, and several, several other communities, Malden, uh, Everett, Chelsea, a lot of other communities, Cambridge, 
um, trying to get the state to approve us as a regional vaccination site. If that is approved, the site, one of the sites we're proposing couple, one of the sites would be the Gantia Center in Medford at the Tufts University, which would be amazing. So we would have it right here locally. Unfortunately, one of the requirements, again, to fulfill, to be approved, uh, is that you're open to the entire state. So it's not just a regional site like we had had originally for those five, six communities that we were with. It's a, it's a regional site, but it has to be open to the entire state. You have to be able to uh, do at least 750 doses a day for five days within the week. That's why the Cambridge Health Alliance has stepped up and is offering to, to assist with this, which would be great, but we have to be approved by the state. Um, it's going to be basically considered like one of the mass vaccination sites. I did hear on a call from DPH today for the first time that if we are approved, 25% of the doses would be reserved for local communities, which is amazing news, which is great news. That means our, our residents would be, you know, avail those 25% um, of the doses. But again, we have not I believe there are almost 18 or more applications put into, put into the state for these sites. And only one, as far as I know, has been approved so far. Um, we have not heard. We're still waiting. And, and I'm sure you'll keep us posted uh, if and when we do here. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, can you give us an update on where we stand with the Method Public School faculty and teachers being vaccinated? Yeah, I would, I would love to be able to say that we're, we're going to do that. But again, the, the locals are not being given the doses. So unfortunately, right now, the CVS pharmacies are, are vaccinating teachers, because if you can get an appointment, um, because they're part of the federal pharmacy program. And when President Biden announced that last week, that teachers were now able to do so, CVS opened up slots for teachers. The state is not opening up slots for teachers until this Thursday, March 12th. Um, they can go on and make an appointment for March 12th or beyond if they can get an appointment. But right now they're being treated like the rest of um, the general population. Like you have to get on the site. You have to try to get an appointment. Um, there, there is nothing for us slotted to be able to do our own teachers, which we would love to do. We would love to be able to do our own teachers, but uh, we are not being given vaccine to do so. Right. So, so the Department of Education just came out, out with a mandate that elementary school students will be going back beginning of April. And uh, I'm just wondering uh, where we stand with uh, the vaccination for staff and teachers. And it sounds to me that uh, it's uh, up to the teachers to go off and try to get their own vaccinations. And uh, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure why they're not listed as a priority, not just with the city, but on the state and the federal level, especially where the requirement is that uh, in-school learning will take place at the beginning of April. So that kind of troubles me. Um, one, one other point, Marianne, and uh, I'm not sure if you can answer it or not, but uh, we have roughly, uh, according to my figures, about 4,500 seniors that are 75 years or older that currently reside in the city of Method. Do we have any indication what percent of those seniors have received either their first or second vaccination? 
That's hard. Uh, that's hard to say. I think the state is looking at countywide data. They haven't given us city uh, community-wide data. I can't tell you who's been able to go to Danvers or Fenway or Gillette or, you know, I know about 200 of our uh, senior residents were at the regional site that we had in Wakefield. I know that 354 came to our site, um, but I can't tell you who's been able to reach it. The, the good news is that now that we're doing the housing authorities and we are reaching out to you know, the council and aging, like I said, have their lists and the community, um, the housing authority and uh, the West Memphis Community Center. And when we reach back out to these people, uh, a lot of them have told us they've already received the vaccine or they've already got an appointment. So that they don't need our services right now. Um, so that's good. That's good to hear. But I, I, I cannot no, I have no idea who went to Gillette, who went to Fenway, who went to Danvers, or any of the other mass vaccination sites. The, the state has not released those numbers to us. They're only doing it on a, a county-wide county -wide basis, I believe, right now. So how, how difficult, Marianne, would it be for us, and I realize the state's not providing these numbers, how difficult would it be for us as a community to look at our most vulnerable, which are our seniors, especially seniors over 75, um, to reach out directly to them if there's some 4,500. I'm sure that can be done to see where they are in the process and to see who may need the additional uh, help to gather an appointment, get on the internet. And how, how difficult would that be? Is that something that we can accomplish? Uh, I, I guess, but we, we have um, tried to promote and publicize that they can call us, they can call the uh, Council on Aging, they can call the West Memphis Community Center, uh, the Housing Authority is certainly doing all the reaching out they can um, if they need assistance, you know, to, to call us. Uh, because obviously this is not an easy process, right? If you don't have access to the internet, first of all, you can't do it at all. Um, if you don't have a child, a son or a daughter to help you, you're, you're not going to be able to do it. Um, so, and it's just a terrible process, hard process to begin with for everybody. So we've asked people if they need assistance to reach out to us. And, and certainly we do have a lot of folks who have, um, but to really scan the whole 4,500, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we'd have to really think about that, how, how we'd be able to accomplish that. But, but we are getting we do have numbers of folks who are still in need of assistance. And I know the council on aging every day is helping to try to book appointments for people who can actually get to those other sites. You know, it's one thing to, to be able to book the appointments, another thing to be able to actually get there. Right. So uh, we also have transportation options for folks. Uh, there's, there's a couple of different transportation options for folks that we've set up so that if they, they can get an appointment, but they can't literally like drive there or get there. We do have transportation options. They should call the Council on Aging or the West Benford Community Center or us, and, and we can hook them up with, with transportation. The, Med, uh, the Mystic Valley Elder Services is offering transportation to round trip uh, for the both shots. Um, so, so there are options, and, and we're hoping that people get that message and and. and Right. They call, they reach out. I don't think anyone behind this reel doubts the work that's been done by the West Method Community Center or the Council on Aging or your office. I, I would just hope maybe a little more emphasis goes on outreach rather than 
the community reaching out to you guys, um, you know, especially for our most vulnerable population. And, um, you know, we, we took a vote, Marianne, I just want to set the record straight, uh, a few weeks back. And uh, I'm under the impression that maybe uh, part of our vote wasn't uh, accurately uh, reflected in what this council voted on, but uh, we did <coughs> vote unanimously to ask that you provide us with uh, a weekly five-minute update. Uh, and you know, there may be weeks that you don't have an update and you just come on and say, I don't have an update. But I, I think it would be very helpful, not just for this council, but the edification of the people that are watching that get a lot of their information from uh, tuning in over the many years, especially many seniors, uh, that that would be very helpful. So I would just respectfully ask if, if you could set aside five minutes at the beginning of our meeting every week just to give us an update, especially during this vaccination rollout. And I want to thank you and uh, Council President Caviello for establishing uh, this uh, chamber to be an open, once again, an open forum to allow residents to come up and speak in a safe fashion. And I think you both really put together a great working plan uh, that involves CDC regulations, Board of Health regulations. And I, as one member, and I'm sure my colleagues can speak for themselves, are very appreciative to that fact. And I want to thank you both uh, for your leadership on that. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. And, and I didn't, um, you know, I, I have never seen my name on the agenda, so uh, I don't want to break any open meeting laws. So uh, if I'm on the agenda, let me know, and uh, I will absolutely be there. I've never been invited, and I haven't been on the agenda, but certainly going forward, I would be happy to. Well, can I personally invite you uh, the next 10 <laughs> if, Yeah, I think I, I think I formally need to be on the agenda, though. That's all I'm saying. Miriam's got nothing to do, right? I mean, she's, she's only working. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> a week. I mean, a day, right? <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, Mia Kern. If we can unmute the mayor, please. Thank you. Thank you, President Carviello. Thank you, President Carviello, and um, thank you to the city councilors for um, allowing us to give an update and be here for the next item, hopefully, which will be the proclamation for our Board of Health Director, staff, and volunteers. I just wanted to chime in when Council Marks asked about um, the 4,500 seniors and just to give some reassurance that when we first had the doses and we were setting up the clinic um, and the governor announced that we would be able to vaccinate 75 and older, um, the next day we scrambled, we had emergency meetings, um, we've grabbed the help of the Medford Housing Authority, the West Medford Community Center, and the Senior Center um, came together. And we were very concerned that we would sell out of our appointments in, in 30 minutes. But I wanted to reassure you that it was open for a, over a week before the state took the rest of our doses. And before they took our doses, we were able to call between my office, the Board of Health, and our three partners, we were able to call every 75 year or older that had reached out to us and left a voicemail over the last week and get them that appointment. And <clears throat> we were able to get as many people as we can appointments at the state sites as well. So I did wanna just point that out that we are doing everything we can to respond to calls, to get appointments for people. And we were able to have that clinic open for a full week um, and get everybody in that needed an appointment that was 75 plus, which went ama amazingly that day. And we look forward to giving them their second dose this weekend. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Thank you. Uh, Culture Moreau. 
Thank you, Mr. President, um, and thank you, Marianne, for taking the time to be here and for your ongoing and uh, seemingly never-ending work. I just have one question. So I just want to confirm to you that it's my understanding that um, when you're eligible and as people become eligible, as, as the, the steps of the phases tick on and, and are announced, um, as people become eligible, right now the best um, information is that when you're eligible, the best place to get your vaccine is wherever you can get an appointment. Is that correct? Thanks. Great. And then, um, oops, muted. <clears throat> there you go. Uh, yeah. So absolutely. Great. Wherever you can get the appointment for sure. And then thinking to the housing authority, um, everyone um, in those buildings, th those people are already being contacted. That kind of rule I just said doesn't apply. <laughs> So yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of restricted. It's not every building in the housing authority. It's the affordable, elderly and affordable housing. So there's uh -huh. uh, Tempone, uh, Walkland Courts, Weldon, um, and Canal Street that, that were eligible uh, uh -huh. for, for these doses. So um, if we have extra, they've asked that we reach out to the other folks who qualify in housing authority uh, buildings, but at this point, those were the only units that were identified in this program. Okay, great. Thank you. That's all I have. Oh, Scott Billy. Uh, thank you. Along with that, uh, Marianne, first of all, uh, thank you and for all the volunteers for everything you've uh, you've done through this uh, this pandemic. And again, like Council Mark said, I know that um, I, I was, I know I'd go home and my mother would say, uh, my, my wife would say, you might be a little critical um, but I really wanted the opportunity for the residents that wanted to come here and, um, and speak in person because it says their form. And I, so I appreciate the work that you've done with Council President uh, Carviello to get the chambers open. And so people can feel like they've been, they, they can be heard and uh, share in what uh, issues are in our community. And I appreciate that. Um, one quick question I do have. Um, if, if we have seniors or, um, sons or daughters of seniors that haven't received phone calls, should they direct calls to the mayor's office, your office to get better understanding of how they can get vaccinated or if they had questions? So we have the resource line, um, okay. that I would, I would point people towards because that's the best way for us to kind of, um, figure out what the, what the need is or what the question is. And we could, and then we kind of divvy it out to whoever can answer best. So the resource line is, is the best way to, to put in a do, question. Do, um, that, do you know that number off? Off the yeah. top of my yeah. head right now? Yeah. Of course I don't. <laughs> um, but right, but get it before the end of the meeting. Yeah. Uh, I'll, look, I'll look for it. And then uh, um, if they're homebound for sure, the, they, they should reach out to any of, directly to the council and agent, our office or anyone else. But if they're really homebound individuals, certainly reach out to us directly. Okay, thank you. My, my last question is the hypothetical. Um, I know we've been very adamant to making sure that our teachers uh, we're finding any way possible. Um, do we have, is there a plan in case of extra dosages that we can work with either the, um, uh, Armstrong or our fire department to maybe work with uh, the school department to get teachers vaccinated. I know that if there's a case that we might 
I know you're saying that as we're calling different seniors, they're saying they're already uh, vaccinated. So I don't know if we have a mechanism in place that if we do find that we have extra vaccinations that we can, you know, if there's a plan in place that we can maybe, because that, that's, that's where we can, uh, we have a captive audience in their schools where if they want to be vaccinated and, you know, we could bring it to them. If, is there anything like that set up just in case as a hypothetical? I would love to. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I would love to. Unfortunately, so these are state supplied vaccines. So we're, we are kind of held to uh, the restrictions as to who we can use them on. Um, so right now, like, again, with the affordable housing, the elder and affordable housing, we've been asked if you don't, you know, if we don't fulfill those then to move on to the other housing authority locations and, and maybe in those family um, buildings that they have, they have people who are qualified, which would be, you know, 75 plus, two comorbidities, um, 65 plus. Uh, I have reached out to Melrose Wakefield uh, Hospital. They, the hospital seemed to be getting some doses recently. And um, at least looking at the K through three who have to be in school by April 5th, I talked to the superintendent. She told me that's like three to 400 uh, teachers and staff. If we could even possibly get them done because they have to be in-person learning uh, full-time by you know, April 5th. Uh, so I did reach out to Melrose Wakefield. So they have us you know, kind of on their radar if they have the doses. Uh, he got minimal doses this week and they were gone in two hours. So, um, but we're, we're on the radar for that, but certainly, yeah, we're working and all of the local boards of health are, are pushing uh, DPH to allow us to do our teachers. So um, things change, you, you know, it could change tomorrow. Maybe they'll say, okay, yeah, but uh, right now, no. Okay, thank you. Um, Marianne, I do have the resource number here that was provided. It's uh, for those who need it, it's 781. 475-5644. Again, I'll repeat it again. 781-475-5644. And that is the, <clears throat> the resource line for those who need some assistance. Thank you. Uh, Council Knight, Mr. President Knight, did you want to, you want to speak? Uh, Mr. President yes. or... No. <laughs> yeah. uh, Council Bass. Thank you, Mr. President, and uh, thank you, Marianne, and the entire health department, Board of Health staff, and everybody else. I just had one quick question on the update. Um, has the state provided any sort of information on what um, the next expanded phase of vaccination might look like? Is that what these additional regional centers are, or is that still, are you still waiting for that last minute email? <laughs> yeah, we'll find out after it's printed in the press now. Um, yeah, no, we, we don't know. Uh, so they have the phases online. I shouldn't say that. There are the phases online. So next would be your essential workers, right? Um, they, they did move the teachers up out of that category into their own. Um, but after, after this group would be the essential worker group um, in the next phase. So the, the phases are online. You can see who's in those groups. Um, they just happen to take the teachers out of that group and push them up. Right. Yeah. And I, I guess I more meant like, are they talking about more locations, more vaccine, you know, that well, that's kind what of they're thing. looking at. Yeah. So they're looking at these regional sites. They, they did put a thing out to folks and say, if you can meet these requirements, if you can do 750 doses a day, five days a week, you know, uh, and, and stand up these locations regionally. But again, they're trying to 
do it geographically, right? So where where the, the, the places are that are hot, like the Cape just opened up theirs, right? So the places that don't have direct access is, is where they're identifying. Now, whether they think people in Medford can easily go to the Heinz Center or Danvers, you know, I don't agree with that, but I'm not the state. So, um, so hopefully we'll, we'll see. We're, we're pushing hard because some of the communities, a lot of actually several of the communities that we've partnered with are those, you know, high impacted communities. Um, so they really need access. So we hope. Right. Yeah. Knows. Thank you, Marianne. I, I appreciate that. I, I figured that would be the answer. And I'm sorry. That's what you have to work with. All right. Uh, again, Marianne, thank you. And thank you for all the volunteers uh, who've been uh, helping you on this. And I want to thank you for the help that you've given me uh, so we can get this room open to the public. So again, I thank you for your, your guidance and um, look forward to seeing you next week. Uh, any further questions, for Marianne, before we move on? Right, Marianne, thank you. Mr. President. Uh, Council Bess. I'd like to uh, move to suspend the rules to take papers 21-100 and 21-181. 21-100. And what's the other one? It's the paper that Council Mark sent under suspension, 21-181. Uh, okay. All right, uh, on the motion by Councilor Biz, suspend the rules, seconded by. I'm sorry, I can't hear. Uh, we'll do uh, uh, the, the 100, 21-100, we'll go uh, uh, On the motion by Councilor Biz, seconded by. Second. Seconded by Councilor Merrill. Mr. Clark, please call the roll. Council Bears. Yes. Council Falco. Yes. Vice President Knight. Yes. Council Marks. Yes. Council Morell. Yes. Council Scarpelli. Yes. President Carabiello. Yes. Seven affirmative rules are suspended. Uh, communications from the mayor, 21000. To the Honorable President and members of the Memphis City Council, City Hall, Memphis, Mass. Dear Mr. President, City Council, I am pleased to put forward this proclamation, proclamation of gratitude to the staff and volunteers of the Method Board of Health in response to the COVID-19 global pandemic in recognition of the work of the Method Board of Health, Director Mary O'Connor, staff and volunteers. I, I welcome the council to join me in adopting this proclamation as well. Sincerely, Mayor Brianna Lundgren-Curran. Uh, Madam Mayor. Uh, thank you, President Carviello. I appreciate the time. I want to point out that we have, I think, all of our Board of Health staff on the call. Um, Sophie, Rose, Brooke, Sarah, Melanie, Penny, Wendy, I see you all there. I also see a number of our volunteers. Um, Pat, Patty Costas is here. Pat, Pat Hansen's there. So I'm sure I'm missing some, but I just want to point out that not only are we here for all of you tonight, but you're all here also to support Marion O'Connor, our Board of Health Director, and all the work that she has done with obviously the help of you. So you've got us through the last year and, and this is for you. And I appreciate the council signing on to this proclamation that we'll, we will hang proudly at Medford City Hall for all to see. 
So if I may, um, this is a proclamation of gratitude to the staff and volunteers of the Medford Board of Health in response to the COVID-19 global pandemic. Whereas the city of Medford, along with the nation and the entire world has faced the effects of the COVID-19 global pandemic since the beginning of 2020. And whereas the virus has affected the lives of every single person in the city of Medford and has claimed the lives of over 500,000 people in the United States. And whereas the Medford Board of Health in response to this unprecedented public health and humanitarian crisis immediately and boldly took steps to protect public health, deliver aid and mitigate the spread of COVID-19 in our community. And whereas more than 120 residents in both medical and non-medical fields have consistently volunteered time and efforts to the city's model, Are You Okay? program to provide food, medication, supplies, phone calls, vaccinations and comfort to Medford residents. And whereas together with the RUOK volunteers and Medical Reserve Corps volunteers, the Board of Health has been able to provide critical aid and support to the Medford community within the past year, including more than 10,000 initial calls made to seniors with 2,500 additional calls for follow-up, more than 2,500 deliveries of meals, medication, and supplies, contact tracing for nearly 5,000 local cases of COVID-19, including daily case counts as high as 105, created Medford's first multilingual language resource line to connect residents with resources and services related to food security, housing, mental and behavioral assistance, and other related needs, and nearly 2,000 calls received in just over two months. And whereas in collaboration with this administrators, staff, and health workers at Medford Public Schools, coordinated and provided support for over 20,000 individual and pooled COVID-19 tests in Medford schools, allowing children to return to in-person learning safely and securely. And whereas despite limitations and supply from the Commonwealth, coordinated the direct vaccination of nearly 2,000 people thus far in the city of Medford, including residents 75 and older during clinics and directly in homes for those unable to travel, and whereas working with the Medford Council on Aging, Medford Housing Authority and West Medford Community Center directly assisted more than 500 Medford seniors with making vaccine appointments, registration and transportation to state-sponsored vaccine sites. And whereas the Medford Board of Health through Director Marianne O'Connor, the dedicated staff and countless volunteers has from the onset of the virus one year ago performed above and beyond the call of duty for the benefit of the public health of the residents of the city of Medford, regardless of language spoken, economic st situation, race, gender, immigration status, ability, benefit eligibility, or religious affiliation. Now, therefore, I, as mayor of the city of Medford, do hereby proclaim with profound gratitude to those who have worked tirelessly to protect public health and in remembrance of those we have lost that the city of Medford extends its deepest thanks and appreciation to the Medford Board of Health, Director Marianne O'Connor, the staff and volunteers of the Medford Board of Health for their work in the past year and on behalf of the people of Medford. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Thank you, President Carviello. And if I just may, I, it's been a really tough year for the community. It's been a tough year for our volunteers, our staff and our director. 
but they have come together. They are are a family. We are all a family and we have been able to conquer and the challenges that have come before us. And thank you to the city council for your support and the school committee and the school administration. Together, we've been able to get through it and we, we have hope now. We are vaccinating people. It's a wonderful thing. And we're gonna continue to do the work um, and I thank you. I, I know Miriam O'Connor's family's here too. That everybody just so proud of the work that you all have done. And thank you from the bottom of my heart as mayor. And I, I'm, I'm sure the city council feels the same. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Council Bess. Thank you, Mr. President. And uh, thank you um, to Marianne and everyone at the Board of Health and, and Health Department and all of the volunteers. And, you know, just reading through that list um, I think it's important that we do it, in, not just to acknowledge everything you've done, but to, it got me a little choked up just thinking about how, how far we've come together through all of this. Um, and it's been so hard and so many last minute changes and uh, so much loss. Um, but I also think we've gained a lot of community through this as best as we could and helped so many people. And I um, just want to thank you. Thank you, Council Bez. Council Morrell. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, yeah, I, I thank the mayor for introducing this. Um, it's uh, very uh, much needed. And I um, I read something this past weekend that was startling, but um, I guess not too surprising at this point in, in that one in three people has lost someone to COVID, um, someone in their lives to COVID, and more than half of those people who have died in the U.S. have passed since November. Um, and I say this to just note the incredible impact and the long haul of this, um, something that's been felt acutely by those working diligently um, in community health, health, supporting Medford residents through um, loss of their loved ones, loss of jobs, loss of incomes, loss of normalcy and stability. Um, and I, this past year has been an incredible weight to bear for all of us, but really no one has shouldered the burden quite like our community centers, our volunteers, our public health workers um, that are on the call tonight. And these staff and these volunteers have given endlessly of themselves at a time when we're all facing collective trauma, grief and loss, and sometimes makes us act in ways that doesn't make their jobs any easier. So again, I thank the mayor for introducing this proclamation to commend and honor the work of such an important group of people, um, really led fearlessly by Marianne O'Connor, who has had no shortage of difficult and you know light speed decisions to make under a microscope. And I don't think I can commend her enough for that work. And I think the whole community is so appreciative of that work. Um, so I, I wholly support this and I'm I'm really honored to have these individuals in our community and, and working for our community. Thank you. Uh, Council Falco. Thank you, uh, President Caviello. I also wanna thank uh, Marianne O'Connor and her staff and uh, all the volunteers for their hard work. Um, and, and I thank the mayor for bringing this forward. And I think Councilor Marks, because I know he has a, a resolution as well that he's bringing forward. And uh, I cannot thank uh, everyone enough, especially, like you said, Marianne, the staff members, the volunteers. And, you know, there were so many people that volunteered in this effort. And this has been a really, really tough year. And so many people sacrificing their own health to, you know, help others. And uh, it was nice to see the community come together and still come together to help. Uh, during these very, very tough times. So I want to say thank you for all your hard work. Uh, thank you, Marianne, personally, for taking uh, the many phone calls I made to you over the past year uh, about COVID. And uh, thank you so much for all your help. And uh, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Council Box. 
Mr. President, at this time, I would ask, uh, because uh, the council made a, a statement as well, I would ask that that statement be uh, read as well, Mr. President. Uh, okay. Um, we have a statement here uh, offered by Council Box uh, on the suspension. Uh, the Memphis City Council is honored to offer this council commendation, a council commendation of extreme appreciation and profound gratitude to the Memphis community who is working tirelessly to protect the health and safety of fellow residents. Therefore, be it resolved that the Memphis City Council acknowledge the many workers, residents, and businesses who are stepping up above and beyond to provide critical assistance and compassion during these trying times. Councilor Max. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. And I thought this was very fitting uh, to bring up, uh, Mr. President. Uh, the mayor, in her capacity, uh, has the ability to put out proclamations. The council has the ability to put out commendations. And uh, Mr. President, this is truly a thank you to all those in the community that have participated over the past year uh, in ensuring that uh, we fight this horrible um, COVID-19 as one, Mr. President. And I think what you saw over the past year is a community unite over a common cause. And uh, it involves many people uh, in this community uh, as which we just heard the Board of Health and the many volunteers over the past year uh, have uh, worked tirelessly uh, to make sure that uh, our most vulnerable population uh, uh, served in a time of need, Mr. President, and that does not go unnoticed. Uh, so uh, on behalf of the council, and I'm sure my council colleagues will speak, I'd like to personally thank Marianne and the Board of Health, as well as the volunteers. I also would like to take a moment, Mr. President, because someone uh, that uh, is in stop and shop at least two days a week and have uh, seen the, uh, what I call, uh, frontline workers that have been there since day one, Mr. President, making sure that we have food, Mr. President, making sure that our stores remain open. Uh, these two also are the unsung heroes that we don't hear about, Mr. President. Meal carriers, uh, they haven't missed a beat, Mr. President, in the past year. Healthcare workers who have been uh, dealing with the sick and infirm, Mr. President, uh, during these tough, difficult times. First responders, police, fire, and EMS within our community have done yeoman's work, Mr. President, in answering the calls over the past year uh, and uh, have uh, not received much praise, Mr. President, but uh, I think this council accommodation is stacking them after a year of uh, their due diligence, Mr. President. Uh, school employees, uh, teachers that have been on the front lines, Mr. President, as well. I mentioned grocery workers, bankers, Mr. President, retail uh, employees, truckers, delivery people that have been delivering uh, in our neighborhoods into the most needy, into shut-ins in the community, uh, military personnel, Mr. President, that have been there to protect us uh, during this awful virus, sanitary workers, restaurant workers. We have a gentleman here tonight, Mr. President, that owns a restaurant. And uh, many of these restaurant workers uh, during this uh, tough time uh, were there to make sure that they stayed open, even though business was tough and uh, you know you weren't allowed to have people in your restaurant. They stayed open for takeout and assisted residents, Mr. President, during this tough fiscal time um, and uh, tough times. And um, you know uh, that doesn't go unnoticed, Mr. President. We have nonprofit workers 
that have been out in the streets assisting uh, families, homeless families, uh, people that are being uh, discarded, Mr. President, that uh, tenants and so forth. Um, that has been a, a huge issue, Mr. President. The building and trades, uh, they haven't gone down, Mr. President. They're up and functioning. Civil service employees, uh, Mr. President, and every other method resident that reached out to their neighbor or a loved one uh, and asked them if they needed help, if they needed assistance, do they need someone to shovel, do they need someone to go to the store and pick up uh, you know, their laundry, or do they need someone to help get some food? And uh, these are the unsung heroes, Mr. President, in our community. And uh, on behalf of the council, I'm sure my council colleagues are gonna speak on this. Uh, we wanna thank them uh, on behalf of the mayor's proclamation and also the uh, council's accommodation thanking everyone in our community for pitching in during this very difficult time. Thank you, Council Marks. Council Scafelli. So th again, uh, thank you, uh, Marianne and your staff for uh, providing the leadership that we needed um, in probably the most difficult time this community's ever seen. So I, I also, uh, to follow along with Council Marks, he said it all, but I think that what I saw uh, during this pandemic is sense of community and the, the few things that Council Mox mentioned that, that really impressed me is the um, our, our seniors, our neighbors that are seniors, when you'd watch neighbors walk next door because they were going to the supermarket and ask them if they needed for them to pick something up just because they didn't want them to be exposed, whether it's Halloween and making sure our neighborhood uh, kids can have a safe and happy time and make sure that we did um, give them an opportunity to celebrate Halloween, but in a safe manner, um, whether it's, you know, um, teachers and, you know, I'm lucky to have my sister as a reading teacher and just listen to her stories and, you know, watch her cry at times because of the frustration at the beginning and what teachers are going through. Um, it's been so, it's been so eye-opening when you look at uh, tragedies, how communities band together. And uh, one thing that I'm very proud of is that uh, one thing we did see is like Council Mox, everybody that he mentioned, um, the leadership team with the Board of Health and uh, Marianne and uh, our fire and police and, you know, that they didn't take a day off. Um, you know, our firemen and police, men and women and firemen and women were first ones to adore. And, um, you know, hearing the stories, how they had to wrap up to make sure they were keeping themselves safe and their, their uh, co-workers safe is, is just commendable. So I, you know, we're seeing the, the light at the end of the tunnel, but I don't, you know, as we see contentious issues in our community today, and I don't want our community to, to, to bypass how great Medford is and how they acted and how they continue to act and making sure they're protecting each other. You know, something simple as wearing a mask. I'll be honest with you, in my travels, I didn't see too many people in the city of Method not wearing a mask. Um, and something that simple meant so much for our safety and for each other's safety and health and well-being. So, um, again, I appreciate the mayor bringing this forward. I appreciate Council Mox bringing his uh, accommodation forward. And, um, and this is, like I said, as we get to the end, we, we pray for the people that we lost. We never forget their their struggle that they've gone through, but at the same time, we celebrate how our community stood together and we're getting through this. So thank you. Thank you. And again, uh, 
Again, thank you, everyone. Uh, again, I think uh, Councilor Marks and Councilor Scarpa took in uh, pretty much everybody in the city here, so I don't, I don't think we have anybody <laughs> to thank here. But um, we have a motion on the floor to join papers uh, 21000 and 21181. Motion, Mr. President. Uh, uh, the motion by Councilor Marks, seconded by. Second by Councilor Scarpelli. Mr. Clerk, please call the roll to join these two papers. Councilor Bears. Yes. Councilor Falco. Yes. Vice President Knight. Yes. Councilor Marks. Yes. Councilor Morell. Yes. Councilor Scarpelli. Yes. President Caraviello. Yes. Seven affirmative motion passes to join both. Mr. Papers. President, well on suspension. Mr. President. Yeah, I think we have to vote. Well, on the special council box. Well, we, well, we'll we'll vote, vote on the paper. I'm sorry. sorry. Uh, we, have, we have to vote the original, uh, on the paper. Mr. President. We can take a vote on the just, paper, we'll but while we're on the suspension vote. after, I'd like to offer another item. Okay. Mr. Click, we call the roll the vote on the actual paper. Uh, Mr. Yeah, President. Council Bears. Thank you. Just before we vote on the paper, um, got a little choked up earlier, and I, I just, again, wanted to thank everybody. Um, and also, you know, my sister's a frontline worker, and I think she's very much appreciated all the health guidelines that have gone on. She works at a bank uh, down in Haines Square, um, and, you know, she, uh, she's been very grateful that people are wearing masks and the health guidelines are being followed. And, you know, if there's ever an issue, they know who to call. Um, so I just wanted to link those two issues together and, and just also say, you know, there's a few months ahead of us, still a difficult few months. And I think um, all the work that we've done as a whole community, the whole list of people, everyone in Medford who has stepped up um, and followed the guidance and leadership of our board of health. You know, we got to see this through, we got to stick it out and you know, all this work can't be for naught. So um, hopefully fingers crossed, we're a few months away from everybody being vaccinated and thinking about a new normal. Um, and I, I just implore everybody, let's keep going and, and make sure that uh, we, we can actually see the other end of this tunnel. Thank you. On uh, the motion by Council Mark, seconded by Council Scarpelli. Mr. Clerk, please call the roll. Council Bears. Yes. Council Falco. Yes. Vice President Knight. Yes. Council Marks. Yes. Council Morell. Yes. Council Scarpelli. Yes. President Caraviello. Yes. Seven affirmative motion passes. Council Knight. Vice President Knight. Two one zero nine eight petition for calling eviction license by Michael Lewis, seven Heron Drive, on the day New Hampshire for Cafe Services, Wellington Cafe, One Cabot Road, Method Mass. Uh, Mr. Lewis, are you on the call? I am. That's what we're at. Um, the chair recognizes the chairman of licensing conference, Councilor Scarpelli. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Mr. Lewis, for presenting uh, uh, your business here in Medford. Um, I see everything that you have uh, passed everything in. Everything looks in order. Um, if you can, if you could just, before our uh, councils ask some questions, can you give us a little uh, synopsis of what you are, uh, what we're doing in your business? Cafe Services, a contract management company, uh, in Medford, we were operating a corporate cafe for the Davis companies of One Cabot Road. Uh, the company that was in there, Simpsons Corp, went out of business, um, so we took it over for them. Um, but we do corporate cafes. We do K-12 school districts in Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Connecticut. 
uh, and we do senior dining in all of the six New England states. Okay, so do you have an actual cafe? Is this, does, is this just in bulk? We just do... Uh, um... No, it's a cafe where we're, uh, we have actually just one person there because of the, uh, the um, population in the building. Okay, so thank you. I do see everything in order, so I move approval. I know my fellow colleagues might have questions. Thank you. Uh, on the motion by Council Scott Pay for approval, seconded by Vice President Knight. Mr. Clerk, please call the roll. Council Yes. Council Yes. 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 Thank you very much for your time. Uh, thank you. Uh, Council Marks. Mr. President, while we're under suspension, uh, I would ask that we take uh, public participation. We have a distinguished gentleman uh, in the audience that served uh, almost four decades in the uh, public service here in the community that would like to speak. Uh, yes, on the motion by, by Councilor Mark, second and by. Second. By Councilor, Vice President Knight, Mr. Clerk, please call the roll. Councilor Bears. Yes. Councilor Falco. Yes. Vice President Knight. Councilor Marks. Yes. Councilor Morell. Yes. Councilor Scarpelli. Yes. President Carviello. Yes. Seven affirmative motion passes. Public participation to the Honorable City Council. Uh, citizens participation. Um, offered by Robert M. Penta that the issue of water and sewer base be charged since 2017 be discussed. Good evening. Name and address of the record, please. My name is Robert Penta, Zero Summit Road. I don't know if you can hear me because we uh, if, we'd appreciate it if you don't touch that. No, can you hear it? <laughs> can you hear me? Uh, yes, yes I, we okay. can hear you. Back in May of 2017, what was presented here before the City of Medford was a new what they call a base rate of 861 per whole household, and then a different charge would be for the. Um, commercial district uh, uh, folks here in the city of Medford. And then one of the arguments was that it would raise $1 million a year. That was approximately 4% of what the city's budget was at that point in time required for the water and sewer services in the city of Medford. Subsequent to that, um, it's gone on for the last three years, now coming into its fourth fiscal year. And I believe a response that was sent back to the city you folks, uh, pursuant to a request from uh, one of your colleagues, was a breakdown of how much money each and every one of the last three fiscal years amounted to. Inclusive of that uh, amount, again, was the term of $1 million to be used per year, but they never reached the $1 million per year. What, is, what was reached was $2,585,362.66. <coughs> as compared to the $3 million that was allegedly stated that the city would gain. That's a difference of $414,637. So where do we go with that? Where we go with that, the argument was that, that would be used to supplement water and sewer for whatever needs might be if something were to come up. Also to subsidize the water and sewer department in case of something that's anticipated. In the letter that came back, it indicated here that the universal connectivity fee is an infrastructure recovery charge. 
to be hooked into and maintained in the water and sewer system. The fixed base connectivity fee is estimated at $1 million per year on, to help stabilize revenues in the displays. That response also indicated that that money goes to your water and sewer account. There is no breakdown. There is no breakdown to the charges, commercial or residential. There is no breakdown also as to how and where that money has been spent. And there is no program that is set up presently that tells you what that money can be used for. So right now, all it's done has been included into your water and sewer account. <clears throat> One of the misnomers to this whole project when sold back in 2017 <clears throat> was in case there's a, in case, that's the word, in case there is a deficit in either the water or sewer account. In the years 2016 and 17, there were deficits on the sewer side, not the water side. But each and every year when the water and sewer budget is estimated, it's estimated on what the work is going to be here in the city of Method and also the water and the sewer rates that you get from the MWRA. Those rates come in ahead of time, not after a budget is made and set. That's another misnomer as it relates to this whole program. So approximately right now, you're sitting on $2,585,000 of base rate fees or charges, whatever the term you want to use, that has come from the Mr. and Mrs. Metro taxpayer has been put into the general revenues of your water and sewer account. That, ladies and gentlemen, is not the proper accounting practices and procedures. Because in your own water and sewer account, you have to have it broken down. You have it broken down by employees. You have it broken down by cost of material. You have it broken down by the named individuals in the trucks and everything else that goes along with it. My suggestion to you folks would be simply this. You, you, you can't put a fee on somebody or a charge without knowing what you're charging them for. It's not fair. If that's the case, you should have just raised the water and sewer account by the approximate 4% that you think it was going to do to offset it. So if you're sitting on a surplus of approximately $7 million or thereabouts in your water and sewer enterprise account, and you're sitting on approximately having already raised $2.5 million that you still don't know how it was spent, where it was gonna go, where is the projected projects that are supposed to come. It doesn't make any sense because right now, what it's saying is it's, it's a water and sewer charge. It was to serve for services in case something were to happen. The original proposal back in 2017 was the charge for the water meter. And that was the charge that was going to be placed on each and every residential person. So we know right now, that that charge every single time, once it comes out, is not for the meter. But unfortunately, for accounting purposes, because you can't figure it out, in this city, in the accounting department, there is nothing to be found that'll tell you how and where that money was spent. But you can find it in water and sewer in their particular budgets independently separated. My suggestion would be to you that you have a budget coming up this year. I would hope that maybe somebody would make a request and ask the question because it doesn't make any sense that the, that the response that came back from the finance director, we don't keep an accounting. Well, if you don't keep an accounting, how do you keep an accounting of residential and commercial meters that you have and what you're going to be charged? How can you allege that you're going to be taking in a million dollars a year when you haven't even got to that figure? Something needs to be said as it relates to 
these type of budgetary items. Seven weeks ago, I came in here and I think I explained something like seven items. I'm going to go through them all one at a time, not tonight, Mr. President. I will go through them all one at a time <laughs> because good accounting procedures tells you what comes in has got to go out and how does it go out. You've got situations here that you really don't know. Why should you be charging these people to supplement or augment a water and sewer account that's presently sitting in millions of dollars? You have yet to be told what the cost is going to be for an anticipated construction, sidewalk, street reconstruction might be because of water and sewer. So if you keep taking in these monies from Mr. and Mrs. Taxpayer, you're overcharging them. You're overcharging them each and every year on this base rate, this fee, whatever it might be. What information, Mr. President? What information, Vice President Knight? I think it's important to point out, and I understand what the council is saying, and I don't want to interrupt them, but I think it's important to point out that this base fee is something that's implemented by the administration. It's not a vote that was taken by the council. It does not require council approval. It's under the purview of the Water and Sewer Commission. They meet monthly to discuss these type of items. And that um, the, the accounting that's being done should be done in accord with the, the GAA, the Government Accounting Office, and the General Accepted Accounting Principles, Mr. President. So, um, and, and looking at what the gentleman's saying, I, I, I do have some uh, agreement with what he's saying, but there's also some items that we need to clarify. And the first item we need to clarify is that this isn't the, do the doing of the council. This is the doing of the administration of the Water Sewer Commission. But that's, well, while that may be true, there's also, you talk about general accounting practices, general accounting practices does state that if you're going to put a budgetary item on a budget, as you counselors get each and every year, the question needs to be asked. If I'm going to just put $100 million, so to speak, and put it into a particular line item, and there's no accounting of the money, other than the fact I just put it into an account, what was, what's the purpose of that? So... You're right, it's an administrative prerogative, but when it came back, when it came up in May of 2017, it was contentiously argued at this Metric City Council as to why we need this new fee. And at that point in time, the argument was for the purposes of the meters, meters for an accounting of the meters. Now it's gone into the general revenue, and now we're being told that there is no delineation, there's no explanation, there's no accounting of how that money's being spent. So if that's the case, and as counselors, if there's no explanation of how it's being spent, before you used to have the accounting firm of Melanson and Heat, you don't have them anymore. You have them for like 15 years out of New Hampshire. You have a new accounting company that comes in here that's supposed to do an annual audit. That question ought to come up. Because if you remember correctly, if you looked at the Melanson and Heat audits, that was one of their concerns on the MWRA, especially in our water and sewer accounts. If you go back and read them, the accounting and the prioritizing how the money is spent. This account, or this money, Council Knight, there's no accounting for the money. There's no, it just goes into a general revenue. I didn't say you didn't have legitimate concerns, yeah. Councilor Pento. What I said was that it needs to be pointed out that right. the Method City Council isn't the one that implemented these fees, and Method City Council isn't the one that has the purview to remove them. As watchdogs of the city's money, over beyond the administration, the administration can make a proposal. The bottom line is here with the council, you either vote it up or you vote it down. And if you're going to vote it up or you're going to vote it down, the question is, what are you voting on? And if something comes to your attention to be questioned as to why and how, this is this is where it's going to take place in the Method City Council Chamber. But the, the, matter, the, Vice the matter is never going to come before us for us to vote up or down because it is not within our purview. It is within the purview of the Water and Sewer Commission. So the beef is not here in the Alden Chambers. It should be in room 201 with the Water and Sewer Commission. Then I would respectfully suggest, if we follow that train of thought, I would respectfully suggest a freedom of information request 
to the city auditor, asking the city auditor. Any individual issue. As to why, Mr. President, why there is no accounting. Thank you. When you get when you get the money from the MWRA ahead of time before a budget is made, there's an accounting of how that money is going to be spent. You have money. Point of information, Mr. President. What information, Councilor Bass? Just it's a public records request, not a freedom of information. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Bass. I believe, Mr. President, a freedom of information act can come from anybody, and if the council does not get it as you got it from the response from the from the finance person then you would go to that next route because again if you follow what council Knight has said if allegedly it comes from the water and sewer commission it's their call maybe their call to implement it but it's your call to decide how and where if it's going to be spent and you guys can ask for an accounting of how the money's being spent that's it thank you be more than happy to answer any questions because it's the finances of our community, and you can't keep tagging on to Mr. and Mrs. Taxpayer and now not having an answer for an explanation. Mr. President. Council Box. I, I, I want to thank my uh, former council colleague. Uh, I know he's very passionate on this, and uh, this is not the first time uh, Councilor Penta spoke on this issue, and he does raise some valid concerns. Uh, I offered uh, the resolution back some several weeks ago and read thoroughly the response we got from Alicia, uh, uh, Alicia Nunley, our finance director. And I also uh, received the correspondence via email from uh, the Water and Sewer Commission of the Chair, um, Dominic Kamara, um, who, in my opinion, uh, along with the rest of the board, is doing a great job uh, and a very difficult, as you can imagine, uh, board to operate, uh, Mr. President. And, um, you know, the response that we received from the administration, uh, we did ask this council us directly, uh, if we're able to see the base rate, what that actually pays for within the water and sewer enterprise account. And uh, they were unable to break out that particular portion compared to just the regular rates and say, well, well with the base rate we paid for X, Y, and Z. Um, and that's how they do their accounting. And personally, I don't see a problem with that. Uh, what uh, Councilor Penter is asking for is uh, more of an itemized type listing of where the expenditures are going based on what revenue is coming in. And uh, I'm not sure if they have the capability or, or capacity to, to report it out that way. But uh, that, as Councilor Knight mentioned, that's not really end of our, our purview anyways. Um, when this originally came out on the council, there was some concern because members of the council, including myself, thought this was a connectivity uh, fee. And it raised a lot of eyebrows because at the time we said, wait a minute, we usually have a surplus in the water and sewer accounts of several million dollars. Why would we need now all of a sudden start charging residents a connectivity fee? We're already connected to the water and sewer system. Um, but come to find out it wasn't a really a connectivity fee, it was a base rate fee. Uh, and there, there is a difference, a substantial difference and as Councilor Penta alluded to, uh, the base fee is a stabilizer. So the way it was told to me and the way I understand it is that uh, every uh, period, the billing period, we're not sure what we're going to receive for revenue. We know how much the MWRA is going to charge us because we have everything needed, right? Uh, City Hall gets constant updates through the little antenna on your water meter telling how much you, the water usage is. So City Hall at any given minute could say how much the water consumption is. We have giant meters 
throughout the community that show the uh, inflow and uh, outflow of sewage. And we can tell you how much sewage is leaving this community. So they have a, a good handle on uh, what the uh, fixed charges are uh, in this community. The handle we don't have is how much revenue are we gonna bring in? Because there may be, especially during uh, these fiscal difficult times during uh, COVID, that someone may not be able to pay the water and sewer bill. And it happens not just during COVID, other times. Um, and so, so having, the way I understand it, a base rate set up, it, it, it sets up a revenue stabilizer. So we know there's a million dollars guaranteed that's coming from the ratepayers that's gonna pay off what we owe. So it's not an extra charge. It is definitely not an extra charge in the bill. It goes towards paying off your rate, the water and sewer rate for the entire community. And it somewhat provides a stabilizer. One would ask, why don't we raise it? Because the million dollars is not much of a stabilizer. Why don't we raise that base fee? And then we can uh, have guaranteed money in there uh, and know where the money's coming from and uh, serve the same purpose. So I, I think I understand where you're coming from, Councillor. I'm not quite sure the city has the capability of providing that level of detail that you're looking for regarding what projects were done in the city, what infrastructure did this money go towards, uh, leak detection. You've been talking about leak detection for 20 years. Uh, we have a high percentage of water that's leaking out throughout the system and it's costing the ratepayers millions of dollars. The council has probably heard me a million times about inflow and infiltration, the sewer system. We accept groundwater that's going into the sewer system and that groundwater is going out to Deer Island and being treated as raw sewage. It's costing us millions of dollars a year. And we're aware of it, but guess what? We have an aging infrastructure. Um, you know, so th this is a much larger issue. Um, I wanna thank the council for keeping it in front of us. You know, our water meters, like the new schools that we talked about that were put in 17 years ago, our water meters are now, the, the new water meters are 15 to 17 years old and the life expectancy was roughly 13 to 15 years. And it's just a matter of time that we experienced when I first got on the council that half of our meters were being estimated. And that's when the city steps in and says, you know, Mr. Pento, we don't know how much you're using for water, but we're gonna estimate your bill. How would you like your bill to be estimated and not actual? So they could be charging you double what you're actually using. And that's why we put the emphasis on these new meters. And now we're coming up to a period of time where, you know, we have to look at these meters and it's a multi-million dollar project, but uh, it's very important that people get charged exactly what they're using, Mr. President. Very important. And I'll always support that, Mr. President. And the days of estimating are over, in my opinion. Um, so I appreciate the council bringing it up. Uh, I always look forward to hearing uh, Council Penter and um, he does his homework and research and, and I thank you for bringing it up again. Mr. President, just, just on that matter, I, uh, just to go back and reflect, Demita's had a lifespan of 10 to 12 years. I don't know if it's 13 or 15, but that's a perfect example, a perfect example of when you have a budget that's coming up from the Department of Public Works, having a projection, for example, on new water meters, that dollar amount in anticipation needs to be in there. And while it's into the proposed budget that you folks deliberate over, it's likewise the same type of money that can be deliberated over the base fee for which goes in there. 
You back then, Council Max, talked about the retained earnings, but the retained earnings has to be something that's certified and qualified by the Department of Revenue and subsequently voted upon by the City Council. So taking all of that into consideration, you're dealing with a multi-million dollar surplus right now in your water and sewer account, and you also have inclusive of that multi-million dollar, you're talking about two and a half million dollars right now that, that, that's been collected. So how does that fit into either retained earnings or the water and sewer balance? Is it off by two and a half million because this is a new dollar amount in there. Just and a point of information, Mr. President. Information, Council Marks. Uh, just a point of information. This council, and I believe you were part of it back some years ago, we've voted year after year after year to use retained earnings right. to offset the rates. And the rates over the last couple of years were going to go up double digits. And if it wasn't for this council and previous councils stepping up and offsetting it with the, uh, which is ratepayers' money, but offsetting with that money that you're talking about in retained earnings, uh, the rates would have gone up even higher. So I just want to set the record straight on that. And in 2016, Mr. President, the deficit was 467,000. And in 2017, it was 427,000. That was on the sewer account. But that was offset on the opposite side, which Council Marks is talking about because of the retained earnings of the surplus that was in the water and sewer. All I'm saying, all I'm saying is on this account, if it's included in your water and sewer account, it should be accounted for and how it's spent are anticipated to be spent just like any project that's going to be done in the forthcoming year. And there is also a dollar amount contained in the budget for unanticipated expenses. You may have a street that just blows open, a major line that blows open, I don't know, but the money is there. And lastly, let me just say this, Mr. President, each and every year, I don't know, coming into this year, each and every year there's been approximately a million dollars in surplus that's left over from the prior year's budget. So each and every year for the last maybe 10 to 12 years, there's been approximately a million dollars. And that money, which is left over, once it's certified by the Department of Revenue as leftover money, can be used for any unanticipated debt deficit that takes place in the city. But we don't have to do it because you've got surpluses in the water and sewer enterprise. Thank you. Well, thank you. You're welcome. So we have another participant oh. that would like to speak. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you want to speak on the public participation? <laughs> you just came to visit us? Uh, we're glad to have you here. We're glad to have you here. Uh, Council Mark says, I think he has one more under suspension. 2 0. Uh, two, 2 1 0 9 2. Yeah. Uh, Two two one oh nine two offered by President Caravello. Be it resolved. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Two one oh nine two out of the suspension. Thank you. Talking about the condolence. No, not that. Uh, two one oh nine two offered by President Caravello. Be it resolved. That the Memphis City Council discussed the following letter of interest from a candidate for the Hormel Commission. Uh, you have a copy of the letter on file here. And I think uh, Mr. Collins is uh, on the on the call here. Brian, are you here? Uh, for those those of you who don't know, this is Brian Collins. He's a member of the Community Center. Uh, he runs a, um, many successful programs over there. And Brian has uh, expressed interest uh, in the the Bacon uh, Hormel Commission. And um, uh, uh, there were there were no other candidates at the uh, there were some other candidates, but they uh, had, they did not put any application. So. Uh, Brian, if you want to give us a little, uh, just a little, uh, 
synopsis uh, about yourself? Sure, absolutely. So uh, I'm a lifelong resident of Medford. I uh, went to school here, graduated, and now I worked and raised my daughter here. And I've been volunteering on the board for the West Memphis Community Center for the past 12 years. Um, I enjoy working with the kids in the community and uh, bringing the good things that we do at the West Memphis Community Center. So I was grateful to get an offer to work on the whole mail um, committee to um, do the same thing there and make that awesome field uh, available to the kids and the organizations of Medford. So thank you for the invitation. Thank you, Brian. Council Scott Pelly. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Collins, for applying. I know Mr. Collins from uh, a lot of volunteer work. Uh, I know the basketball programs at Duggar Park and also with our um, um, our fundraising that goes on during the summer. Uh, and I appreciate his application. I think he would be a valuable member of this commission and I would support him wholeheartedly. So thank you for, for reaching out. I think you would really make the Home Health Commission uh, a, a most uh, successful uh, venture. So thank you. Thank you, Councilman. Uh, Vice President Knight. Uh, Mr. President, thank you very much. Um, when I learned that uh, the existing council appointment, Mr. Glyona, was not interested in reapplying for the position, I became very concerned about uh, how we were going to fill this position and what quality of candidates we'd receive. And um, when I saw the email of uh, one Mr. Brian Collins and his interest in serving on the position, um, it certainly set my fears at ease. Um, I've had the ability and the good fortune of having to work with Brian uh, for a number of years. I also grew up in West Medford and uh, don't let him fool you. He's a West Medford legend. Everybody who grew up in West Medford knows Brian Collins, knows who Brian and Mark are. Um, he's a great guy and he's someone that uh, puts his money where his mouth is, Mr. President, has a, a great proven track record of uh, bringing successful programming to our community um, and also thinking outside the box um, and watching what he's done down in the center. It's unbelievable um, to see the amount of programming, the amount of effort and hard work that he's put in there, um, how the center's evolved. Uh, over the last 12 years since he's been involved is amazing. Um, so with that being said, Mr. President, um, I certainly uh, feel very confident in the application of Brian Collins to serve on the Home Health Commission. And um, I, for one, would move for approval of appointment. Thank um, Council Biz. Thank you, Mr. President. And hi, Brian. It's good to see you. Um, you know, I can only echo what my colleagues have said about what you've done for our community um, and the great work of the West Medford Community Center and how much it's grown and such a you know, even more vibrant uh, now than it was years ago, which is great. Um, and I, you know, I just like, since we're appointing you, I like to, you know, try to ask a question um, and just uh, what's, what's a project or something that you'd really like to get started on at Hormel Stadium uh, if you were appointed to the position? So it's a great question. And I usually take, um, I, I listen to what the community wants. So, for instance, at the community center, um, it's not so much um, of me driving the programs. It's me listening to the kids in the community of what things they would want to see. So, for instance, um, I recall growing up here, we never had girls basketball. But, you know, six or seven years ago, the parents would come to me and say, you know, how come all the boys get basketball? No one ever pays attention to the girls. And uh, I got a daughter. So I actually felt the same way. So when something like that comes to my attention, that's what I would be more in a moving in the, that direction. So uh, I would be more of listening to what the community would like to 
see at Hormel as opposed to any personal preference? That's fantastic. And I think that's exactly, you know, should have expected that answer from you. So thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. And uh, I would ask my colleagues to wait to tell Brian how much work this is until we take our vote. <laughs> um, but uh, no, uh, you know, anyone in the community that's been around the community knows the amount of time Brian puts in at the West Memphis Community Center, how he volunteers endlessly across the city. Uh, his organizational skills are impeccable. Uh, look, look at the offerings and how far the West Memphis Community Center has come over the years. And, you know, he, Brian won't toot his own horn, and I know there's a lot of good people there, but uh, Brian is largely due uh, in part to what he's done uh, for that uh, West Memphis Community Center over the years. As you can see, he's a level-headed person, which is needed on boards and commissions. He's a man of reason and a person of understanding, and I think he would be a great fit, Mr. President. We don't have many appointments as in a council. You can count them on one hand, uh, how many appointments we have. So this is important to us as a council, and it's important we pick the right person. And without a doubt, uh, Brian is going to do some remarkable things down there. We have a beautiful stadium, Mr. President, we can all be proud of. And uh, I know Brian will continue uh, to make that a show place for our community. Thank you. Councilor Falco. Thank you, Mr. President. I want to thank uh, Brian for his uh, interest in the position. Uh, I've known uh, Brian for years through his uh, work at the West Memphis Community Center. And uh, he's, he's always there. I know he's always put a lot of time, effort, and energy into uh, program development, really getting, thing, getting things running and keeping things moving over the West Memphis Community Center. It's always been a successful program, but he's been involved for many years. I know he's been a real big part of that success. And I think, you know, Brian just hit it on the head when he said it earlier, listening. That's what a lot of this comes down to, listening to what the community wants, listening to what the community needs. And uh, I think uh, he's been a valuable asset at the uh, West Memphis Community Center, and I think he's going to be a valuable asset on the Hormel Commission as well. I thank him for his interest, and I definitely support uh, this appointment. So, uh, Brian, thank you very much. Councilman Rowe. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, yeah, it's hard to hard to go last when someone's such a, a hardworking and, and highly committed person in this community. Um, but I, like everyone else on the council, seemingly everyone else in the community, have had the pleasure of working with Brian um, through some through some things at the West Medford Community Center. Um, it's um, he's a stalwart there. He does an incredible amount of work there. Um, and and thank you, Councilor Bears, and thank you for Brian for speaking on it, the girls basketball program because that's something that um, I think when your name comes up, people uh, just talk about you know recently just how wildly popular and successful that program was and and, and really loved and you know as as things get back to normal, hopefully coming back. Um, so I, I think that's just a really great example of, of the kind of work you do. And as far as that listening, so I um, I support this appointment and I think uh, you would be a great addition to the Hormel Commission. Thank you. And, uh, and personally, uh, I, I've known Brian for about 10 years now and um, he's done remarkable work uh, at, the, at the center there. Um, he's attentive to everyone's need and the big thing is he listens. He listens to what people want, people want and that's why he's successful uh, working with the community. So again, I, and I also support uh, Brian for the job and um, Way the motion from the floor, which is Council Scarpelli as motion to uh, nominate and select Brian Collins as seconded by Vice President Knight. Mr. President, before you call the roll, Council Max, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the outgoing uh, yes, Commissioner yep. uh, Lenny Gliona, uh, who has done uh, a tremendous job representing not only the Hormel Commission, 
but this Method City Council who appointed him back some several years ago, they've made great strides at Hormel, uh, largely part of uh, Lenny's input uh, and his diligence uh, to this community. So I wanted to personally thank him. And I, I too want to thank, thank Len uh, for his, his years of dedication to, uh, on the commission there. And uh, I know Len will be showing up uh, uh, on some other uh, project within the community because he, that's the kind of guy that he is. So um, I, I, I know I'll be seeing his name somewhere else. Mr. Hey, President. Like Council Scott Pelley, second by Vice President Knight. Mr. President. Oh, sorry. Council Morrell. Thank you, Mr. President. I, I would just be remiss if it since the, the time to uh, thank Len for his hard work on the commission has come up. I'd be remiss if I didn't add my voice. I've become a, a close friend of Mr. Glyona, and I know he's um, took his role very seriously and worked very hard on it. Um, and I, I thank him for his years of service on it. Thank you. Mr. President, if I, and if I may, I, if I may, I'm really brief, uh, but to echo the sentiments of my colleagues that just spoke, I uh, also thank uh, Mr. Gleona for his yeah, years of commitment to the position. Thank, thank you. you. Mr. President. Mr. President, I was going to put a resolution on next week to thank him. Uh, <laughs> well, we don't have to do that. Wind out of my sales here. Uh, the motion by Council Scott Perry, seconded by Vice President Knight. Mr. Clerk, please call the roll. Council Bears. Yes. Council Falco. Yes. Vice President Knight. Yes. Council Marks. Yes. Council Morell. Yes. Council Scarpelli. Yes. President Carbiello. Yes. Seven for most passes. Uh, Ryan, welcome, welcome to the commission, and uh, we look forward to uh, working with you in the, in the future. Thank you Good so day. much. Thank you for the opportunity. Good luck, Ryan. Thank you very much. Motion to revert back to regular business. Uh, the motion by Council Scarpelli, second by Vice President Knight. Mr. Clerk, please call the roll. Council Bears. Yes. Council Falco. Yes. 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 Motion passes. 21090, offered by Vice President Knight, be resolved that the city administration adjust the proposed capital plan to reflect the resurfacing of city roads and the revitalization of Method Square and Mystic Avenue as year one priorities, and be a further resolved, the capital plan be adjusted to call for resurfacing of no less than 10 miles of roadway per year. Vice President Knight. Uh, Mr. President, thank you very much. Um, here in the city of Method, we have about 140 miles of roadway. And if we look at the uh, capital plan that was released last week, um, I had the opportunity to watch the meeting on local access television. Pat Gordon did a good job delivering that uh, TV program to us last week. Um, if you look at the capital plan, you'll see that over a six year period, uh, it calls for the resurfacing of about 11 roads, Mr. President. Now we're a community that has 145 miles of roadway, and I don't think there's one street in this community at this point in time um, that's pristinely paved from curb to curb with no potholes, no markings, no uh, proper markings and signage, proper crosswalks and the like. Um, everybody in this community uses roads to get from point A to point B, whether it be school buses, fire engines, plows, police cars, you and me, bicycles, pedestrians, everybody uses the streets, Mr. President. And the condition of our roadways at this point in time, a subpar. Um, when you look at surrounding communities, um, you can tell when you get there because the pavement changes. When you drive from Medford into Morland, all of a sudden the ride gets a little less bumpy. The same thing when you go into Arlington or Somerville or Winchester. 
Um, so, Mr. President, we have a capital plan. We've heard a lot about this pavement inventory that was going to be taken by the administration. Um, ultimately, at this point in time, you know, the curb appeal in this community isn't what it once was. We need to start investing money back in our infrastructure so that our curb appeal can be something that's enticing, so that our curb appeal can be something that when a taxpayer looks out the window, they can be proud of. Instead of having a call C-click fix, they can smile and tell their friends, why don't you come over and take a look at what a great job they did. I will say this, the plowing that's been done in the community um, over the past year or so has been excellent, Mr. President. Uh, but with that being said, uh, the toll that's taken on our roads is uh, beginning to show. Um, so with that being said, I'm requesting that the administration adjust the capital plan uh, to take into consideration our aging infrastructure and roadways. Um, with 10 miles a year, it would still take us 14 years to resurface each roadway in the community. Um, so it's an ambitious goal, Mr. President, but um, I, I feel as though we need to do something more ambitious than 12 streets over six years. Um, that coupled with the fact that we've been talking about ways to generate revenue in this community, to generate new growth, to address a five to $8 million budget deficit. Um, we've been discussing the revitalization of Method Square now since uh, the 100 year parade when I was in the fifth grade. Um, and we had a great opportunity to address uh, some concerns along Mystic Ave. And uh, I think that that's kind of fallen by the wayside after all the work that the uh, Metropolitan Area Planning Council has done. Um, I'm very happy of the work that we've been able to do with Mr. Barbrowski. And um, once we get this recodification uh, process completed, I look forward to moving forward and hopefully securing uh, the zoning consultant for further review of our zoning ordinances. Um, but with that being said, Mr. President, I ask my council colleagues to support this resolution. Um, I feel as though it's uh, a capital plan that needs to invest in things that matter. And uh, one thing that everybody in this community uses is our roads. So with that being said, I'd ask my council colleagues to support the resolution. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. Councilor Bass. Thank you, Mr. President. I agree with Councilor Knight's sentiment and I will be supporting the resolution. I'd just like to propose a B paper that also asks um, how many miles uh, would be resurfaced per year under the initial proposal from the administration? Certainly okay, no from B paper was how many miles have been proposed? Yes, how, how many miles per year proposed under the initial uh, capital plan draft? Thank you, Council Bates. Council Box. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. I want to thank uh, Vice President Knight for bringing this up. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, behind this reel, we've all spoken about sidewalks and roads uh, ad nauseum. And uh, I think uh, this is uh, a, a great proposal. However, Mr. President, with that being said, uh, we as a council have not had the opportunity to sit down as a council and go over the capital plan. And I would respectfully ask my colleague uh, to hold off on this until we have the ability as a council to sit down and go through what we believe uh, are some of the issues that we would like to see addressed within the capital plan and not do it piecemeal. And uh, I would just respectfully ask my council colleague uh, to either withdraw this or uh, set up a meeting where we can sit down and have a meaningful dialogue. It's a $107 million proposal. And I also had the opportunity to watch it, uh, Mr. President. And there are a lot of uh, unanswered questions from the school appropriation to uh, when the fire department will eventually see uh, their buildings be refurbished and why are we waiting so long to refurbish the fire uh, uh, headquarters as well as the other existing buildings. I think there's a lot that needs to go over, and I, I don't want to send a message that uh, if we do support this, that this is what the council is looking for, and that's it, uh, Mr. President, because that's furthest from 
uh, I as one member of the council. So I, I hope my co council colleague can appreciate that and uh, maybe we can use this as a catalyst to uh, take a look at the capital plan and see what the needs are uh, as a council uh, and as a community. The way I look at it, Mr. President, is this. The plan's been released. The plan is the plan. The mayor didn't involve us in the planning procedure or the planning process. Uh, this council, week in and week out, sends the administration requests in the form of resolutions, making requests and recommendations as to where money should be invested. Um, this proposal right here falls in line with the votes that the council's taken in the past. Um, I understand where he's coming from, but I, I respectfully decline. Um, I'd like to have the paper be voted on, Mr. President. I'd like to see the capital plan addressed. Um, I've had enough of the condition of these roadways. I've been banging on this table since I got elected, talking about public utilities coming in this community, tearing up our streets, but what we're gonna do to come up with a plan. And we're not getting anywhere. Now we have a capital investment plan, Mr. President. We have a CIP and it doesn't address our streets. So if the council's taking these votes and we're serious about the votes we've taken, and, and there are many other items that are going to be priorities. I, I, I certainly don't, don't feel as though that's an incorrect statement to make. And um, I certainly understand the Council of Marks has some priorities that he's fighting for, as does Councilor Scott Kelly itself, Councilor Falco. Um, but with that being said, Mr. President, uh, the paper that's before us is to ask that the uh, capital plan be adjusted uh, to call for these things as year one priorities. Um, any further putting it off is going to put us into year two. There won't be year one priorities. Um, so with that being said, I'd ask my colleagues to support the paper. Um, it is what it is, Mr. President. You know, uh, the mayor released the plan. Uh, we asked for an opportunity to have involvement. Um, that opportunity wasn't afforded or awarded to us. So um, now we got to do what we got to do uh, to get in there what we think is important for our constituents in this community. Um, this is the approach I'd like to take in doing it, Mr. President. I'd like to be put on record knowing that, um, you know, I support resurfacing of our roadways. Again, it's something that everybody in this community uses. It's something that everybody in this community needs. And the quality thereof right now is awful. Um, so with that being said, I, I respectfully decline uh, the, the gentleman's request at this point in time. I feel Mr. Like President, if I could. Councilor Marks. Um, as I stated, uh, I, I don't think anyone's been a bigger advocate of roads over my term on the council uh, in discussing uh, the needs and the fact that we don't put any money in the budget for roads. Uh, from what I've been told by the mayor, and the mayor can correct me if I'm wrong, she told me this was a draft capital plan.